Always wonder what a week holds, don't you? Anybody else sort of have that kind of a thought in your mind? You wonder what's going to <clears throat> unfold in the week ahead of us. Well, I know what's going to unfold for us. We're going to go down and see Titus, Annette and I are. So <clears throat> we're leaving in the morning early, and we'll be back towards the end of the week, Thursday and Friday. So I know what my week's all about. But, uh, you know, you always wonder what's going on, don't you, in our world today? And uh, all the things that are going on and... And, um, you know, there's a lot of resources you have anymore that uh, can help you with some uh, understanding of certain things. I just mentioned two things to you. Both can deal with John MacArthur. My son over here, he turned me on to somebody called, and you probably heard this guy, Ben Shapiro. Everybody know who Ben Shapiro is? Okay, he was telling me about Ben Shapiro, and so sure enough, I did watch an interview with John MacArthur. And he's a Jew, very orthodox Jew, young man, very intelligent. If you haven't watched, what do you call these things, podcasts, I think you call them, all this kind of stuff. And uh, they were talking about, you know, the issues that are going on. And then at the end, he presented to him Jesus Christ. And this line really captured my attention where he said, you know, as a Jew, you're, I, I have to thank you for the Messiah. I thank you for the scriptures. All these things are coming through the Jewish faith. But one thing you miss is Jesus Christ. And he gave a very clear presentation of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. <clears throat> and, of course, that's where they had to separate ways is because of that fact. But, you know, it's great to hear uh, the gospel presented in that area. And then the other uh, thing that I noticed this week, Anki Amos sent me a, I guess she gave it to me last week, a little card about a message and that, uh, that I would be, be well for me to, to listen to. And so, sure enough, I did yesterday. And uh, it was on, again, John MacArthur, and uh, it's called, uh, We Must Obey, and I would, I, might, I, would, I would encourage you to listen to this, we, would, we Must Obey God Rather Than Man. Okay, that was the title, and he is talking about why they decided to go back to church in California and uh, the reasoning process that went on there. And I won't, don't want to give it away, but, you know, he had some great things. I'm going to give some of it away. Uh, I mean, because it just, it, you know, they, he said the question's been asked to them, why did they comply to start with and then they changed their mind? I think his answer was good. We heard millions were going to die. Did you all hear that? Millions would die from this. And so it's important for us to do all we can to keep everybody safe. And then he said, but they didn't shut down the liquor stores and more people, and he's talking California, die from alcohol than from COVID. Is that not a fact? And yet that's deemed essential. More people die from cigarettes. And I'm from the South, so, you know, you have a tobacco field up beside my church. Now, it wasn't in the churches, of course, but it was there, wasn't it, Annette? And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, but more people die from cigarettes than die from COVID. And he says if you're under 80, the chance of dying is 0.001%, I think. You know, the chance of getting struck by lightning is just about the same. Maybe it's even a little better <laughs> to get struck by lightning. And so his point was that, that um, California, no, 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 this is California, it's not Ohio, that one out of four babies are aborted, and yet abortion is deemed essential. Isn't that amazing? That you can have essential services with alcohol, and we did the same thing in Ohio didn't we? I think they, they never shut down the, 
the booze joints for us either. I mean, they may have limited them somehow, but, you know, it was just the way it was. So I encourage you, the last 20 minutes, especially, he talks about salt and light the first 30, which is good, but the last 20 minutes or so, he talks about why they made the decision they did. And um, they're facing some, you know, some real issues out there, not only their church, but all churches in California. You know, there's a, a Lancaster Baptist, a West, Side, or a West Coast Bible College is involved with that. There's a lot of David Jeremiah's church in California, a lot of churches in California, if you think about it. And so a lot of these people are, are facing these kind of issues. And so, you know, I just said that because I wanted to just get you to think, what, what difference a week makes and, and how things can change so rapidly. And then I don't want to take what I have for granted. That's the whole point of this because then I was... I'll tell you one more thing, and then I'm going to get to the message, all right? You all bear with me. Um, we were listening to a podcast. Well, I'm into this stuff anymore. I must become a millennial. Am I, am I starting to become a millennial with this kind of stuff? I don't know. But, you know, I listen to this podcast of Marshall Font. He is with GFA. And um, he was exercising with one of those stretchy things, you know, that you pull. And this thing was happening, and he says it came up. Net was listening to this with me also hit him right in the eye, and he lost sight, and he's still not sure whether he's going to have his eyesight or not. And the lesson I learned from that, Ed, was not to exercise, of course. <laughs> but the other issue that he talked about <clears throat> was that um, in an instant, now think about this, and I really think this ties in what we're talking about. In one instance of life, how much change can happen? He lost his eyesight in an instant. Now, he may have it back. This was kind of back in, I think it was June or July, he was taping this thing. So, you know, but he said he still didn't have it back then. And uh, it hit right into his eye and uh, the, it filled with blood. And he says, I learned. Now, he had some other good points as well. It's a GFA. They have a, web, a webcast also. And he says, but I learned that in one instance of life, everything can change. I really thought about that. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, we were, we were moving along here in January and February. Remember January and February? It's probably a long time ago. I mean, we were moving along in January and February. Life was just sort of unfolding the way it should unfold, and it changed. Again, I was in Tennessee. Maybe next time I go, come back, it'll change again. I was getting phone calls down there about certain things going on up here and all this COVID stuff. It changed. And for us to think, you know, it's all going to go on this way forever. I still remember James Dobson talking, his father giving him some advice. He said, you know, what you have now is not going to last forever. It can change very instantly. And he said his father passed away of a heart attack right after that. So, you know, you need to appreciate what you have right now, right? We need to appreciate what God has given to us and not take it for granted. When we are, personally, you know, we are so bad just to sort of take things for granted. It's just always going to be this way. Uh, there's never going to be any change. Life is just going to progress. I, I think you have debunked that myth over the last six to seven months like no other time in your life. Things are not just going to move on as they always have. And for us to think so, we are really fooling ourselves. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I had to get that off my heart this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Well, you know, one of the greatest joys of 
any kind of parenthood is to see babies growing up, isn't it? You know, I, I see Andrew there in the back, back there growing up. Every Sunday he comes in, he's a little bit bigger. I mean, you know, you get to see this with all these little babies in our church that are, that are growing and getting larger all the time. It's an, it's an amazing thing to see them ro- growing up and to see them, you know, rolling over and crawling. You parents know exactly how all this stuff works. Grandparents know how it works. And as they mature and then they become, this is the goal, mature, isn't that a good word? Mature, well-rounded, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally, well-rounded adults who can function in their society and who can grow into what God would have them to be. Isn't that a great thing? And, you know, this is not just true physically. It's true spiritually. God loves for us to grow and to become well-rounded in everything that we're doing for Him. That's what Paul's plan was. That was his dream. He wanted to see Timothy in this book and the church that he's writing to, which would be at Ephesus, which is where Timothy is serving at this point. He wants the church to be well-rounded. He wants to to, uh, see that the believers are growing in the Lord. what What a great request that is for all of us see our faith growing in Him. Now, he's, Paul's always excited, excited about this. His two great examples, I would think, would be Timothy and Titus. We could talk about Silas and Barnabas and John Mark. There's others as well. But as far as Scripture is concerned, Luke would be another one. But young men who he seemed to take under his wing and, and, and help them to grow into some kind of maturity was Timothy and Titus, both of those individuals who he writes the pastoral, the, these three epistles to. And they're called pastoral epistles because these men were pastors and he is giving them instructions on how they should function in their realm. But also, not only just as pastors, but as also as just God's people, as churches. And some of the problems that churches face and a church order and how a church should function. You know, we need to know from God how we should function. We, should need, we need to keep our focus. Yesterday, we were talking together with the men there, and then as we were talking, you know, one of the points I always seem to bring up is we've got to be sure we don't lose our focus. Know what we're here for. It always needs to be examined, and it always needs to be reemphasized. Why God placed us here if He saved you to take you to heaven, where would you be today? Heaven. But He saved you to put you on this earth to serve Him, me and all of us. And so we are to serve Him during these days in which we live. And so we need to function this a certain way. And we function by special revelation. There's something called natural revelation, special revelation. Natural revelation is nature, our conscience. Special revelation would be God's Word that He spoke to us so that we could know what God's mind is. Romans 1, you know, it's not... General revelation is not enough to save us, should drive us to Christ, but we have to hear about Jesus Christ in order to be saved. How can they hear without a preacher? You know, that that section there in Romans. And so Paul was one who received this gospel from Christ. He makes no apologies. I was just reading Galatians in my Bible reading, and he he says it again. I think maybe I used that for one of your devotions for the week. You know, the Galatians, I did. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, that's where I got it from, where he says, you know, This message was not given by men. And even if an angel from heaven would appear to you and tell you something different, let him be accursed. He says it twice. So he says, this is what God has communicated to us. And he talks about 
the mystery in Ephesians chapter 3 of the church. That was your second day for devotions on Tuesday. And he talks about the mystery of the church. I trust you follow this because I don't have time to go back and look at all of this. And how that was God's design for this age. And in the Old Testament, it was a mystery. But now it's been revealed to us through God's Word. And in this book, six chapters, we have instructions how a church should look. We have instructions about the pattern we must follow. We must... Look out for certain things. That's a good word. Look out for certain things. And he's going to start right off in verse 3 with false teachers, false doctrine. We live in a world of false doctrine. We live in a world that perverts truth. Everything is pliable. And so, you know, we need to understand that that's going to be number one on his list is watch out for false doctrine. And so believers, we need to have the same understanding, don't we? False doctrine. It'll kill a church. It'll kill you. It'll kill anybody. And one of the greatest ways that false doctrine is coming about today is just by manipulating Scripture, making it teach something that it does not truly teach. So this morning, he begins with some special words. Just two verses is all I'm going to look at with you this morning. And we're going to look, first of all, at... Paul and then Timothy, this young man that is going to be the recipient <clears throat> of his words. But three areas in this introduction, verses 1 and 2, that I want you to think about with me. The composer, the companion, and finally the complement, <clears throat> which we'll find in verse 2. Father, as we look at the words that Paul gives to Timothy and gives to us, <clears throat> encourage our hearts today. Help us to be good Soldiers of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> First thing you notice, the composer, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of our God and Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I want to, first of all, I want to divide this into two different things. First of all, look at his identity of Paul. That would be the first thing I want us to think about, the identity of Paul. He says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, let's, let's just think in our minds for a second. Let's go back and review some things that we know about Paul. Paul was a man who was saved by grace, right? Paul was a man who was on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute Christians. He was going to drag them out of their house, take them to jail or whatever. And as he's going, this brilliant light shone from heaven. And he heard this voice, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And of course, his reaction is, who are you, Lord? Or what am I doing to you, Lord? And of course, he understands and directs him in certain areas. But he was a man who was on a mission. That would be the Philippians chapter 3 passage for your devotions. He's on a mission. He knows what he's trying to do. But God seized him. He, he got a hold of him on that road to Damascus. And he placed him into his service. He caused him to be his disciple, his apostle, it says here. An apostle is somebody who is a, who is a representative. Okay? He is somebody who has been given a divine commission from God. Uh, Saul, the Lord Jesus, he saw him on the road to Damascus. To be an apostle, you have to see Jesus Christ. And you have to be given a job by Jesus Christ. And Paul was given that on the road to Damascus. So there's no more apostles today. We don't see Christ. We see His Word. 
what his word tells us. But as he was living his life, he really wasn't anything from what we understand physically striking. There was nothing about him that would cause you to sort of stop and say, you know, that Paul boy, he sure is something special. Now, how do I know this? Well, there's some ancient documents that are not inspired, but talk about him. And the other way is there's an illustration or a time in Lystria, in Acts chapter 15, I think it is. Whenever they go into Lystria, they call Barnabas, they call him Mercury, and they call, I'm sorry, they call Paul Mercury, and they call Barnabas Jupiter. Now, if you know anything about Greek mythology, you probably do somewhat. Jupiter was what? He was the king of the gods, and so he was a man of striking example. Mercury was the communicator. Okay, he was the one who spoke, and so, but he was sort of a, wasn't anything like Jupiter was. Jupiter was sort of the prime god. And so here, you know, Paul was probably more of a short, uh, maybe retreating type person, very vocal, very eloquent in what he stated, but there was nothing about him physically that you'd say, boy, he's striking. That's something I want to, I really want to follow or listen to. And, you know, we forget his background sometimes. We forget that he was a persecutor of the church. We forget that he said he was the chief of sinners. God saved him. What a blessing that is to remember that God saved him. And, and then in Philippians 3, I mentioned this on Wednesday, you know, he goes through and he reviews his life, you know, how that uh, he was doing so well in Judaism and how he was rising in the ranks and how everything was falling into place and he had pedigree, he had education. I mean, he had everything our world today would say you need. And then he comes to verse 6 and says, all, verse 7, I think it is, all these things I count but dung for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great verse? Everything I've accomplished, I look at it as refuge because I now understand who Christ is and what Christ has done. And he continues on in that passage, I trust you read it, that talking about the fact that he has not apprehended yet. He has to keep pressing on. He has much more than he needs to learn and so if Paul needs to learn, well, you and I need to learn also is how I would view this passage. But we find that he was a man who was an apostle, and that's quite a word. He doesn't identify himself as an apostle in all, in all these epistles, but here he does. And that talks about his authority. Okay, now the next part of verse 1, he says he's an apostle. And here's something that's very unique in 1 Timothy. You don't find this, I don't think, in any of, the other, any of the other introductions that Paul gives to his epistle. He uses this phrase, by the commandment. Usually it's he's a servant and, and he's working through these things and so on and so forth. But here he says, I am an apostle by the commandment. And it's also unique the way he states God and Jesus Christ. He says, by, or I'm a commandment of God, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So second thing, notice his authority. That would be B on your outline. His authority says, I have received a direct commandment from God, which I'm going to give. I was set aside by a divine appointment. God seized me, used my life, and now he says, I have received a commandment, a royal order from a higher up. I have received this commandment from God himself, and I am to communicate this to you. Boy, what a statement to make. 
course, Paul was the premier apostle. Basically, the Gentiles. But he said, I want you to understand what my background is. He is confident. He is authoritative. He is encouraging. And he's really going to say to Timothy, Timothy, get with it. And that's going to be sort of the message here. Let's get with it, Timothy. And we'll see Timothy here in just a second. And, you know, aren't there some times we need to hear that? Get with it. Uh, especially in, in the day in which we live today. All the events going on around us. All the uncertainty. You know, we need to understand that God is still the one who's in charge. Get with it. Move forward for Him. This is God's Word. This is what God says. This is how God is telling us today. And so, this is from God. This is from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's unusual to use all three names for Jesus Christ. Usually it's Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus, but He puts all three names together here. Again, emphasizing the authority that comes from God. And He's telling them that this is direct message from God Himself. Now, this is the only place, as far as I know, that he uses this idea of a command. And the idea is that he says, God has given this to me. Timothy, I'm giving it to you. Timothy, you give it to the church. This is a direct communication from heaven to the church. Isn't that... When I think about that, that almost makes you feel like you should take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. Remember that with Moses, the burning bush. I am going to hear from the living God of the universe. Isn't that what church should be? Every time you come to this building, you should hear from the living God of the universe. You should hear His Word and what His Word states. What's the purpose of a church? It's to hear what God has to say. And so here's the composer. He says, God has given me this message, which is, notice the last part of verse 1, our hope. Isn't that great? A lot of hopeless people today. A lot of hopeless people. A lot of people that don't seem to know which end is up. I mean, just no hope today. If there's one thing that, that is needed, and you would think our officials, and I think in Ohio we've got a better, you know, yeah, you know, DeWine, I don't want to make this, but he's not doing too bad a job, okay? I mean, yeah, though some of these things are, but anyway, we do have freedoms. Just pray we don't get to have to shut down again, right? I mean, all this stuff going on. Uh, so I, I'm not going to touch all that, but, but the, I forgot my point anyway. Whatever I was trying to make, anytime I hear the word DeWine, it just makes my mind kind of go the wrong way. But it was there. It was a good point, too. Believe me, whatever I was going to say, it was, it was very good because it was something it was about all of this. Oh, Pope, you know. You know we do have some hope in our world today. And, and with all this hopelessness around, and, and again, that's where I got my idea. Oh, hopelessness, divine hopelessness. You know, all this stuff together, you, uh, you just think, boy, isn't it good to have a, a church? Why would you not have churches open? Yeah. I was thinking about that with California. You got all this... Suicides are on the increase, right? Uh, domestic violence is on the increase. I mean, I'm just hear what I've heard from numbers. I, I don't have documentation of this. But I hear all these things are increasing, and then you erase 
the source of true hope, which is what? Jesus Christ. And where do you hear about Jesus Christ? In the church. Well, you should. The church is worth its salt. You hear about Jesus Christ, and he's the one who gives us hope. That's what our children need to grow up with is the hope of Jesus Christ. Our grandchildren, our young people, everybody needs to understand that that's where our hope comes from. That's where we put our trust today is in Christ, not in man. Notice the companion. After the composer, notice the companion is this man by the name of Timothy. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. What a statement. His background will be the first thing I want you to notice, that he was his own son in the faith. Timothy was a young man. Now, i got to tell you the name Timothy. You know what it means. Two Greek words, I honor and theos is God. So he says, Timothy, you were named to honor God. You know, that's a high charge for your life. And he says, Timothy, you are my own son in the faith. You need to hold up to that. Now, let's think about Timothy for a second. All the, most of the devotions that I gave you were dealing with Timothy. The Acts 16, you saw about his parents. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he gives him this high mark. Uh, Also the Philippians 2, this is where he says, I have no other man like Timothy to to send to you. So he's a young man. He's probably in his mid-30s. This is probably what we know. Uh, He seems to be a little timid, but he's a good choice. He had his problems, but he needs some encouragement. Don't we all need encouragement sometimes? We all need encouragement. We all need encouragement to serve God. We'll get enough discouragement from the world about God, but we need some encouragement. And Timothy, every now and then, he had to have some encouragement. Somebody had to come to him, like especially Paul, and say, Timothy, you know, things aren't as bad, and you've got a mission to accomplish. We need those kind of words. He's probably been with Paul about 15 years at this point. And I'm not going to turn you there, because I trust you did, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 7. He was raised by a godly mother and a godly grandmother, probably an unsaved dad. Now, we wrestled with this yesterday a little bit. Acts 16, it says his mother was a Jew and devout, or a Jew and a believer, but dad a Greek. So, you know, I would say that he's not just contrasting Jew and Greek. I think he's also contrasting believer and non-believer. So that would be my interpretation of that. So dad was probably not a believer, which is... A shame, atrocity, basically. Every child should grow up in a Christian home, right? But dad and mom believers, what a blessing that is to be able to have that kind of confidence and authority in one's life, an example. What a charge it is for you young parents today to have that same understanding when it comes to the raising of your children. This mother and this grandmother made an impression And we could talk about grandparents here, too. That's not really our point. But his point is that 15 years, probably unsaved, he was from Lystria. Remember what happened in Lystria? Paul goes into Lystria, and he he heals this lame man. And they're going to, after he heals the lame man, they're going to, I mean, they're going to make a temple to him. The, The priest comes out because in Greek mythology, two gods came down and did certain things. It's a long story. I won't go into all that. You can read it for yourself sometimes. But anyway, Paul, and he says, we're going to make, we're going to make a temple for you. And Paul, he, he doesn't understand the language, and he finally realizes they're going to start sacrificing to him. And he, he says, no, 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 not me, you know, Christ. And he preaches Christ. And 
and people are saved, and then the Judaizers come and they stone him. Remember this? I mean, almost just in a couple hours, how quickly things can change again. Uh, he's going from being deified to being stoned. <laughs> Isn't that a great contrast as far as life is concerned? And he's outside the city, and whether he dies or not, that's another debate. I, I probably don't think he did. I think it was more of a very injured and he comes back and goes back into Lystra and preaches the gospel again. What a man of courage. Boy, don't we need those kind of people in our world today that have some backbone and courage? But anyway, that's the town he's from. And in Acts 16, I trust you read it. Beautiful place. Beautiful place. He was spoken highly of by all the believers in Lystria and Derby. And the question that I ask is, how would Paul describe your Christian life today? Think about that. If Paul were, was writing up a letter of recommendation, and I've been through this with, with colleges here, you know, they, they, they give me these little boxes. You know, I'd be careful. I've got some people here I've written some things about over here. But, uh, you know, they give me these little boxes to check and all this kind of stuff, and it says, very good, good, uh, poor. I mean, how do you discern between very good and good? Now, I gave you good and very good, by the way. So, you know, you can, you can depend on that. But, you know, how, how do you depend on, you know, very good and good and then, and then you know, average? And then, probably the best thing to do would be for me to write a paper on each one, right? And then you can express what you really believe. And then if Paul was writing a paper on your life, what would he say? You ever thought, think about that? What would Paul say about us if he was recommending us for some position? Well, he was well spoken of by the brother in Lystria and Derby, both cities. What a marvelous testimony that he has at this point from Lystria and Derby. Now notice his character, and this really is the book. Let me give you five characteristics of First Timothy that I think are found in Timothy's life <clears throat> that we will be looking at over the next number of weeks because they do are a picture of what his life is like and they are a picture of what our lives should be like and they are a picture of what a church should be like. Five things. They're not on the screen. You have to just, if you would like, you want to write them down, that's fine. First thing is he is saving faith. Uh, he's called my brother or my son, I'm sorry, my son in the faith. And so he's saved. Isn't that a great thing to say about a person? I mean, when you think about somebody, the first thing that should come into your life is, is that person saved or not? Does that person know Christ or not? Isn't it a great thing to know that person's going to heaven and heaven is their home? I mean, that should be all of our number one prayer requests, whether it's a child or whether it's an adult, or whether it's somebody up in years. Are they saved? He is my son, notice prepositional phrase, in the faith. He describes where his residency is. It's in the faith. And Timothy should stand in sharp contrast because of that salvation. He is in a city called Ephesus, which is one of the leading cities of the ancient world. A book is written to that by Paul. Timothy, you should be in sharp contrast to those who are unsaved. Christian friends, you and I should be in sharp contrast to those who are unsaved. 
then there just shouldn't be any doubt that we're God's children. It should reside from every part of us, from our face to our language, especially our language. Our hope, what we have in Christ, should just shine through to other people as they see who we are in Christ. The second thing that we're going to be looking about him is his continued obedience. Continued obedience. He had developed a pattern of obedience in his life. This came from his mother and from his grandmother. Isn't it amazing what influence parents have on children? This can be scary if it's not done the right way, but it can be a great advantage also. He watched mom. He watched how mom did things. And I wish he would say dad too, but we just don't have that in second. Timothy. So there's, there's a challenge for a home to have two Christian parents would be one thing. But then there's also some hope, right? If somebody only has one Christian parent, it doesn't mean it's a lost cause. So you can view it both ways at this point. But he, he, he learned from mom and from grandma, or his grandmother, I should call her, that what it meant to serve God. And he was in a church that is riddled with defectors. And, and he continues to be faithful, you know, in his, I would say, tithing, in his attendance, in his witness, in his prayers. He is faithful to what God has given him to do and the lesson that he learned from his home. You know, I hate to repeat it again, but I'm going to. Homes have such, a, have such a, an important part when it comes to children. And, and, you know, we are being, and what should show you that more than just God's word is the way that our government is trying to erase parenthood and take children out of homes today. There's three great protections in God's word. You know what they are, and I'm going to repeat them for you. Three great protections in God's Word. Protection of government. That should protect us, even though our government today, well, ours is doing fine, I would think. There's the protection of the church. That's why you join a church and submit yourself to the discipline of that church. And the protection of a home. Scripture has those three great protections. Children should be safe in their homes. And they should understand principles of godliness in that home. It's such an important part of their maturing process. And so we find that continued obedience comes from a home environment where God is uplifted and placed on a pedestal in our lives. Thirdly, after saving faith and continued obedience, he's a humble servant. We'll see this throughout the book. A disciple leaves everything to follow Christ. He, he, he served without a lot of attention. You know, we don't hear a lot about him. We hear some. We know who he is. But he's a humble servant. And his humility is found in the fact that he would go wherever he was sent. And he is just the opposite of false teachers. We'll see these false teachers are going to be Defined as those who want praise and glory, but not Timothy. Read one of my commentaries, and he said, John Newton stated this. I thought this was a good illustration. 
He says, if two angels were to receive at the same, the same amount of commission from God, one to go down and rule, heaven, and rule earth's grandest empire, and the other were to go down and sweep the streets of its meanest village, it would be a matter of entire indifference to each, to each whether they, whichever service they fell into, the post of ruler or the post of scavenger. For the joy of the angels lies only in obedience to God's will. Isn't that a good illustration? If God calls us to be a janitor or a, 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 sweet, a sweet sweeper in this situation, or the king of the empire, it's still doing what God wants us to do because we're humbly obeying him. We're being a humble servant to what God would have us. Are we humble servants? God just tell us what to do and we don't ask questions. We do it. Saving faith, continued obedience, humble service, sound doctrine. You know, it's going to be very much contrasted in this book. He grew up in sound doctrine. He's going to live in sound doctrine. Chapter 4, verse 6 of 1 Timothy says this, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So he's going to be a student and a propagator of sound doctrine. One of the greatest problems in churches today is the lack of discernment. You know, it's, it's all wrapped up anymore with emotion instead of any kind of authority. I've said, you know, to me, one of the greatest lines that separate our culture today from cultures ahead of time is today, we really don't have authority or any kind of, any kind of logic. All we do today is emotion. If we can emotionally charge people with certain ideas, then that's all that's needed. You know, Timothy, you've got to have sound doctrine. It's not just the emotion of this, but you've, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to, Planted in Scripture and know it's coming from God. Today, if we just have a good wrapper around it, it's okay. No, it has to have a core that comes from God's Word and what God is stating in His Word. The last one will be courageous convictions. He had saving faith, continued obedience. He's a humble servant. He's sound doctrine. He has courageous convictions. And if we're going to make an impact for God today, we have to have some convictions. And we have to have the courage of those convictions. That we are making decisions based on God's communication to us. And we're going to see all those need to be true of God's people as we move through this book of 1 Timothy. And this comes from spiritual maturity. It comes from knowledge of the Word. Uh, he had to fight for conviction. Chapter 1, verse 18, we'll see these. I charge, this charge, verse 18 of 1, this charge I commit unto thee, Timothy, charge according to the prophecies which went forth unto thee, that thou mightest, that thou mightest by them war a good warfare. We're in a warfare. Well, we are today. We are in a warfare for the hearts and lives of people. You've heard other people say that, but it's true. And if people do not respond to this message, they're going to go to hell one day. If you don't accept Jesus Christ's free offer of salvation where we admit we're a sinner 
and we say, Lord Jesus, I know I was, I'm a sinner, and I, and I understand that you shed your blood for me. You died on a cross for me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my all. You are my Lord and my King. And there's no hope for eternal salvation. He maintained his convictions. According to tradition, he, he was martyred. We don't have that in any record of Scripture, but tradition tells us that. You know the old saying, any old dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to go the other way. So true. We need to have fish that have some backbone. Timothy was one of those individuals. Do you see yourself as somebody who God has called and placed into his divine service? And this means that we keep our focus and our attention on him. Nothing is to distract us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We, 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 this great crowd of witnesses, and yet we have our eyes on the goal of Jesus Christ. Our focus needs to be where it should be. Composer, companion, compliment is really the three great words you find here in verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. And I have them all for you, so... Thirdly would be the, the compliment that he gives to us whenever he finishes this introduction. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just remind you what these three words mean in our, in our closing time this morning. Grace, unmerited favor. Nothing I have done that should cause Christ to give me salvation. It's simply because of his unmerited favor. His sacrifice at Calvary was because of his unmerited favor. This frees us from the consequences of sin. His grace. Mercy. Mercy is that not giving us what we deserve. Again, because of our sins, we deserve to die, we deserve separation, we deserve hell. And yet, he gives to us his mercy. He's a merciful Savior to you and I. I'm so glad he is because we fail him so often, don't we? We're not perfect. We will see that there are sins throughout this book, and Second Timothy also he has the same idea. But he gives us grace, grace beyond measure. He gives us mercy that he says, yes, you deserve my punishment. You deserve my wrath. We saw this Wednesday night. We're looking at Christ dying on the cross. That's where we're at in, chapter, in, in Wednesday night on, in, in uh, Luke chapter 23. And he says, you know, the whole idea is that he took, it became dark for three hours. Why? Because God's wrath was vented upon this world and on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ especially. As he, we don't know what happened, but he took that wrath and placed it upon his son. So you and I, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, can have his righteousness. He put our sins on him and he put our, his righteousness in us because of his salvation. And what does it result in? Peace. Peace. The Amplified uses the word heart peace. Not bad. Harmony with God. Tranquility of the soul. Knowing I am going to be with Him one day. Things can happen quickly. I mentioned 
this martial font this morning as we start, as we began. Just one moment exercising with one of these stretchy type things. And he says, you know, how did I do it? I don't know. It just slipped off my foot and hit him right square in the eye. And he says, everything changed at that point. But let me just mention that to you this morning. Everything can change rather rapidly in your life also. So the question becomes today, are we right with our Creator? Are we right with Him? Do we know Him? That's the first step, wasn't it? Saving faith. Have you come to that place in your life where you have, have confessed Him as your personal Savior? Put your faith and trust in Him and say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've, I've despised the laws of God and I need Him to save me. That's step number one. And then after that, the growth begins. And growth isn't always easy, is it? You know, you see these pictures of these little babies, especially these toddlers, and they have these bumps all over their heads, especially my Sawyer and Jackson, the two twins. I mean, usually whenever they send us a picture, it's because one of them has some kind of a great big bump someplace on his head or on his arm or something. You know, growing up is hard, isn't it? It's got a lot of knocks to it. And there's a lot of things that can happen in our lives spiritually that, you know, we have to say, yes, Lord Jesus, teach me the lessons. And usually those bumps and those knocks teach children not to do those things. You know, you discipline them, yes, but if they get hit too many times, they're finally going to get to the point where they say, you know, that's probably not the best thing for me to do. It should be the same way spiritually, shouldn't it? God disciplines us, but... You know, we should also run up against stuff and say, you know, that's probably not the way God wants me to live my life for himself. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you that...